0: You're listening to a message from Southview Church, located right outside of Nashville and Spring Hill, Tennessee. Now here's our featured Sermon of the Week. New series for the next six months or so into the summer. We're going to be studying the book of John. We're going to be studying the presence of Jesus. You could feel the presence of Jesus here. We sang about Jesus, but you could feel it. When Jesus is in the room, when he's in you, it changes everything. And I just felt like what better way to focus us back to what really matters in a year that could be tumultuous is the presence of Jesus. So we know this. The book of John is part of four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're all written by four different people, and they give you a full picture of who Jesus is. Now, finding four people to agree on one particular person is very, very difficult. They do it with extreme accuracy, and it's like giving you four different camera angles to a cinematic movie. You get to see Jesus in four different ways. But why John? Who is John, by the way? Well, John, many people debated over, is it John the disciple? Is it John, some other John, one of the early pastors and leaders of the church? But we believe it's, it's John the disciple because in the second century, there was a man named Irenaeus, and he was a disciple of Polycarp, who was a disciple, a direct disciple of John the disciple. So we have three generations that have confirmed that it's John the disciple of Jesus that wrote the book of John we know that in Jesus's ministry that there were different groups of people we had he sent out the 72 and then he had the 12 that he would hang out with we know the 12 disciples we also know that there was many more that spent time with Jesus there were actually ladies in Jesus's group ladies give a shout out you were part of that you were part of it come on now but the 12 made mention of it and then Jesus makes mention of three in the Gospels, they make mention of three. Why? Jesus would go to certain groups in certain places, and he would bring the three closest to him, Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John got to experience some amazing things. I can't imagine what they would say at the campfire that night after all the other crew got around them and said, hey, boy, you missed something today. You know, and they were like, well, we weren't invited. But anyway, um, you know, <laughs> if Jesus would have invited us, I would have came. But, um, but he brought Peter, James, and John. And then in John, believe it or not, in the book of John, John mentions himself in a unique position. He puts himself above every other disciple. He says, I'm the one whom Jesus loved. Now, I used to think, boy, that's pretty pretentious, John. Thank you for saying that. But I wonder if maybe it wasn't the tone of his voice that changed the way it sounded. I'm the one who Jesus, wow, he loves. Because if it really is coming from that, then so are you. You're the one whom Jesus loved. You're the one whom Jesus loved. We can all say that. But John had a special connection. In fact, we know that John was at the cross when Jesus was on the cross. Jesus officially he assigned his mother to John, and John to his mother. John also was the first one in the tomb after Jesus rose from the grave. How do we know that? Because in the book of John, he mentions, "I outran Peter to the tomb." <laughs> Again, <laughs> I probably do the same thing. You remember Peter? I outran him, man. <laughs> yeah, you know. John was had a brother named James and they were both called the sons of Zebedee. Zebedee was the dad, and Zebedee was a fisherman. And in one particular case, Jesus changes his name or his, his, his moniker, so to speak, because John was known as a feisty person. He probably had a temper. He was just this guy who, 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 who had a lot of passion. He had a short fuse. How do we know that? Well, in Luke 9, verse 54, uh, he mentions something to Jesus. James and John, they, they go to a city called Samaria, a region called Samaria, and they're giving the disciples a hard time. And so John makes a, an idea to Jesus. He says, listen, why don't we just, I can call down fire from heaven and burn. all these suckers up Jesus looks at them and says you guys are nuts no he says you know what he calls them the sons of thunder they're passionate I think sons of thunder was a little trick on words because if you really think about it nobody fears thunder they fear lightning and he looked at John he said you're really all talk really your heart is towards me because at the end of his life John came known as the apostle of love And might I pose to you that when you spend three plus years with Jesus, you may go from a short-tempered, angered person to a person full of love. Jesus transforms people that hang out with him. So why read the book of John? Well, the the book of John is usually the go-to book we give to people that have just received Jesus. 90% of the book of John, believe it or not, is unique to the Gospels. In fact, if you ever heard of the synoptic gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those three gospels are very similar, synoptic. They all have similar stories, similar sequences, and similar parallels. But John is unique. John's a different book. In fact, the seven great I am's, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the great shepherd. You can only find them in the book of John. In fact, there's no parables in John. Some people wonder why that is. Some people say that the reason why that could be is that John wrote his book after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so instead of being redundant, saying the same things over again, John made mention of to say things that Matthew, Mark, and Luke didn't mention. Five out of the seven miracles recorded in John are only found in the book of John. And the longest recorded prayer in the New Testament is John 17. And you know I'm a big fan of John 17. Jesus' high priestly prayer, make them one. That's what he's praying over us today. Let's talk about the Gospels one more so you understand why we're getting into John. Matthew, the book of Matthew written by, oddly enough, Matthew, uh, was written for the Jewish audience. The reason why we believe that is because he uses words like fulfilled quite a bit. And what, he, what he's stating is that Jesus fulfilled the Jewish covenant. Jesus fulfilled the law. And so the Jewish people would be very attracted to the words that he used. Matthew is essentially what Jesus said. The book of Mark, written by the book of Mark, one of my favorite writers just because of his name, was written primarily for the Roman audience. Why do we believe that? Because in Mark, it's full of action. It's shorts, full of doing, because it's essentially what Jesus did. Then the book of Luke, written for primarily the Greek audience. Why do we believe that? Well, first of all, Luke was a Gentile physician. And so he wrote things differently than the Jews would have wrote. And he used words that were more conducive to a physician. He spoke with more details. He gave more different different angles, but exact different angles. And he used the phrase, son of man, to describe Jesus. Jesus. If you think about that, that would appeal to a Greek audience because the Greeks were all about man. They were all about mythicism and all this literature that they would write. And so what did Luke really portray is how Jesus felt. The Greek audience would become very attracted to the feeling part of Jesus. Now, the book of John was essentially written for the whole world, like they all were, but this had more of the fullest character of Jesus. It was really a broader portrait of who Jesus was. And also, it goes back to the very beginning, where Matthew, Mark, and Luke really start with Jesus' birth. Luke, or John, goes all the way back to the beginning, for John really states more about who Jesus was. That's why I really want us to get into the Word today. And over these next few months, we're going to really unpack who Jesus was and who Jesus is. So if you'd stand to your feet, we're going to read John 1. We're going to start at verse 1. If you have your Bibles, you can start there. If you have your phones, you can do the ESV, English Standard Version, is what we're reading from today. I didn't put the words up there because I want you to get into a habit of bringing your Bible. You can bring your phone, but if you bring your hardcover Bible, you get extra credit in heaven. That's I heard that from the Lord in a vision. Let's start verse one. In the beginning was the Word. He goes all the way back, John says. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. To him was life, and the life was the light of the men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were, bo- who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory glory as of only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Today, I want to entitle my message, In the Beginning. In the beginning. Lord, we ask that you would minister to us today through your word. I say, Holy Spirit, would you give me the right words to speak? to convey your message to the people today. Lord, I silence distractions, whether in our mind or even in this room, that we can focus on you. Our attention would be fully on you. Holy Spirit, we invite you to move. We invite you to move in our hearts. We invite you to move around us and in this atmosphere. And God, have your way so that when we leave this place, we're different than when we came. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat today. In the beginning, in the beginning. I don't know what it is, if it's just me, or if it's just my age, but in the beginning. Whenever I think of in the beginning, I think of movies. I think of movies and the beginning. You know, always the movies. And the most epic in the beginning movie is movie Star Wars. Now, I'm talking about the one. Anybody, anybody go to see it? 1977. Anybody go see that in the theater? 19, there you go. Some of you are like, I don't want to put my hand. Come on now. You saw it in the theater. There you go. Come on now. Yo, OGs, The original people Anyway um, <laughs> I didn't I was three so I didn't get to go see it in the theater but I do remember going to see it and I remember being blown away and the most iconic part of Star Wars, one of the most iconic parts is the beginning. Yeah. In the beginning, the starry sky, you hear the Dee! you hear the music pop- pipe up, the horns, the John Williams theme and all of a sudden you see the scroll they call that the opening crawl and it starts to f- the yellow letters you know what I'm talking about? Anybody not see Star Wars because you can leave right now uh, right now but, but as it came up, <laughs> As it came up, you see it, and it begins to tell you what you're getting ready to watch. And I remember as a kid going, oh, I can't barely read, but this is exciting. Now, unbeknownst to me, I missed it. Some of you people might have saw it. But at the very beginning, the first line that comes up, it says episode four. Now, why would you start a series off on the fourth episode? I don't know why. There is no answer. But they did bring the, the first one out. Anybody go see the first one? Anybody sorry to see the first one? We don't talk about Jar Jar. We don't talk about Bruno or Jar Jar anymore. (laughs) To me, the first one was this one. Look at those epic characters. I mean, it was amazing. And and the whole time, every time Darth Vader would talk, I kept thinking, seven up, seven up. James Earl Jones, okay, that's okay. That's all right. That was just for two people. That's all I did that for. This is how I look at the book of John. He's going to the beginning. He's going to episode one. He's going all the way back. He's getting to tell you in the beginning. And the interesting thing about it was, I was like, is that revelation he got from the Holy Spirit or was that direct dialogue he got from Jesus? Like you imagine sitting by the fireplace at night and Jesus says, in the beginning, I was with God. In the beginning, I I was there when there was nothing. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be that. Now, chapter one, it essentially breaks down to three different sections. I'll give it to you. Number one, Jesus in the beginning. Then the second part, the middle part, is the introduction of John the Baptist. When we talk about John here, it's not talking about himself. He's talking about John the Baptist. And then the last part, which we're going to focus on as well, is Jesus forms his crew. So let's talk about character development, because one of the greatest characters in the Bible is John the Baptist. What a character. I, I never really thought much about John the Baptist, but now I'm starting to realize he really is a big deal. John the Baptist. John was essentially Jesus' hype man. In verse 8, it says he came to bear witness. Now, some of you, if you grew up in the, in the, when, when rap was really good back in the day, like when it was really, that's totally what old people say. When, when, when it was good back in the day. somebody somebody like, it's still good. Back in the day, it was cool because you used to have a DJ, right? You'd have a DJ on there, come on, and he'd be scratching and stuff like that. And then you had the MC, the rapper, and then you had the hype guy. I don't know why, but he always just yell and just go, yeah, uh-huh. You just reiterate whatever the rapper said. And out of all the guys, Eric, he was the most excited. And I think it was because he realized his job was in jeopardy every time. Because he was the expendable guy. He would just jump around. Yeah, come on now. That's kind of like John the Baptist. He's hyping up Jesus. There's somebody coming, man. Get ready. You'll never think of John the Baptist the same way. Now, let me bring in my Star Wars analogy because really, if you think about it, John the Baptist is kind of like Obi-Wan Kenobi. (laughs) Hold on a second. He he prepares the way for the son, Luke Skywalker, son of Darth Vader. Come on now. He also lived in the desert convincing you he wore animal he wore those cloaks that look like animals and where john the baptist ate locusts uh obi-wan kenobi killed Jawas. so there you go that's my analogy that's how i put it all together <laughs> It's a little rough, but it, it works. Anyway, reality, in reality, he was the son of the priest, Zechariah. So he had priestly lineage in him. He had the right to be a priest, but he chose a different lifestyle. He was actually Jesus' second cousin. So imagine the moment when he had revelation that Jesus, the kid that he was kicking the ball with on, on family you know, gatherings, was actually the son of God. John was actually surprised when he showed up. Not surprised because it was like, oh, there's my cousin, but surprised that, oh my gosh, that's the Messiah. He had no idea. Holy Spirit never revealed it to him as a kid. He was the only person we see in Scripture that has actually filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. Yes. Wow. Special. He took a Nazarite vow. If you're interested in Nazarite vows and you want to take one, number six, you can read about it. But essentially, people were separated and consecrated. And they would do things like abstain from wine, grapes, and anything with alcohol. They could not shave their hair or anything on their head. And that's what many people believe that uh, Samson was a Nazarite vow. And also, he could not come near a corpse. So even a family member died, he wouldn't be able to go to the funeral. After dedicated service, after his service was up as a Nazarite, he or she would then present a burnt a sin, and a peace offering. And he, to me, is one of the, has one of the most epic character lead-ins in the Bible. Can I share with you why? We read it. Verse 5. Okay. In the beginning was the Word, and, and we hear all that, right? We see this epic picture of creation and majesty in Jesus. And it says in verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, listen, watch this. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Bam! What an epic, like, Jesus in the beginning, by the way, here comes a man sent from God. The most epic lead-in character development that I've ever seen in the Bible. Now, he was separated and different, and I believe for a reason is because God is separating and showing us a foreshadowing of what he's asking his church to do. John 1, let's jump down to 35. You can stay seated. I'm going to read this to you. This is Jesus Christ putting together his crew. Let's keep reading here. It says the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. Let me pause for a moment. Jesus reveals himself to John. John sees that he is the Christ. So now John has revelation. He was standing next to two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, behold, the lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. So John's disciples are hanging out and go, hold on, John, you cool, but that's the son of God. Jesus turned and he saw them following and he said, what are you seeking? And he said to them, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. And so they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and he said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him, and he said, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. When you get around Jesus, he changes your name. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, and he said to him, follow him, follow me. And Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? (laughs) Philip said, then why don't you come and see? Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and he said, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered, said, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him and said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see even greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Jesus starts to form his epic crew. Man, I'm telling you. Like, Jesus is forming his crew. This is Luke getting R2-D2, CP3O, Han Solo, Chewbacca, Yoda, and Princess Leia. Like, he's forming the epic group of people that are going to change the world. And here's the interesting thing about it, because in John 1, we just read this, it said he, Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. They didn't recognize him or receive him. Yet these ragtag group of people saw something in Jesus that they decided to follow him. Here's my question to you today and to myself. Would we have made Jesus crew? Think about that for a moment. Now, many of you in this room are going, of course. Let me ask you something. Would you have really made Jesus's crew? You know, when, when I watched Star Wars as a kid, I wanted to be just like Luke Skywalker. Like, who didn't want to be? Like, right? I mean, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to have a lightsaber and just chop up things. Like, I'm, you know what I'm saying? So instead, I got the roll that the wrapping paper came on, yeah. and I just yeah. beat people over until it started wilting, and I was going to find another one. <laughs> I mean, man, he, every kid did that. Why? Because you wanted to be part of that crew. It was epic. But here are the disciples, And to me, it's the most epic group of people, but I don't know if it really was epic in that moment because think about this for a moment. John the Baptist, he had to prepare the way for someone he had no idea about. He went in the desert, started baptizing people, and he didn't even know who he was baptizing them to. Just do it. It was a ritual that every Jew understood, but he was doing it differently. And in Matthew 11, this is, this is mind-boggling to me. John the Baptist, who dedicated his life to proclaim Jesus, in Matthew 11, he's in prison, getting ready to be martyred, beheaded. There's a whole story there. And, he, and John sends his disciples and says, go find Jesus, go find my second cousin, and just make sure that he is the Messiah. He still had doubts. Now, John, John the Baptist, you know, we all know about him, but how about all these disciples? Think about this for a moment. They left everything to follow someone they just met. Now, it sounds so easy to us because we know the story, but let me just paint a picture. Imagine for a moment that today, after this service, you run over to Kroger to get your milk, your eggs, and your bread, right? Because that's important. Those three things will sustain you. (laughs) For us, it's coffee, right? Right? You got kids, you need coffee and creamer. But just imagine for a moment you're in Kroger aisle six and you see somebody and God says, that's the son of God. So Tim comes home and he gets, Jennifer, I got bad news. Good news for me, bad news for you. Good news is I'm going to go follow the son of God. I'm going on tour, but bad news is I'm leaving and you won't ever see me again. You think you're nuts. That's what the disciples did. They had to leave their family. They had to leave their businesses. They had to leave their kids. They had to leave everything that they knew, to follow a man they just met. The question is, would you have been in Jesus' crew? Now that doesn't stop right there, because how did they end? How did their life end? Well, clearly they were revered and celebrated. No, not really. I'm going to share with you a couple things. Judas, we know he hung himself. He was the one that betrayed Jesus. But then they, 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 they replaced him with Matthias, and guess what? He, he was stoned. <laughs> I wonder if they said to him, guess what? Come join this crew. It's going to be a lot of fun. Andrew was crucified. Thomas was pierced through with multiple spears. Philip was arrested and put to death. Matthew was stabbed to death. Bartholomew was beaten and crucified. Simon was crucified or sold in half, whichever way, maybe both. Maybe he was crucified and then sold in half. Thaddeus or Judas was martyred. James, John's brother, was martyred by Herod. He was beheaded. James, the son of Alphaeus, was stoned and clubbed to death. Peter was crucified upside down at his request. Yes. When he was getting ready to be crucified, he said, I'm not even worthy to be crucified like my Lord. Crucify me upside down. Oh. Hmm. And John, John, well, he was the only one that died of natural causes after being burned and boiled in oil. He happened to live. So you can imagine he looked a little wilty. And then, a <laughs> little melty. A little hot under the collar. Okay, but Thank you. Luke, could you get me to, uh, But a... But he was essentially exiled to the island of Patmos. And out on that island, he had a revelation of Jesus. And that's where we get the book of Revelations. See, there's a cost to proclaiming Jesus. There's a cost. There's a, there's a cost to following Jesus. But let me say this. There is an extremely great reward to proclaiming Jesus. And there is an extremely great reward for following Jesus. Let me say it this way. You pay the cost, you reap the reward. Yes. I want to share something with you. It's a little bit personal, and I'm bearing my heart, so I hope that you, you, you bear with me here because I'm going to be real transparent just in a few moments. I brought something to share with you, but give me a second here. I'm going to go get it. Hold on. Talk amongst yourselves here. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Anybody know what this is? All you people in the back, did you see this? It's a box. Now, the reason why I'm showing you this is because if you work out, you have to tell people so it works. That's just a joke. That was just a joke. Last week, we talked about the nine things that I believe that God wants to prepare the church, and one of them was prepare your temple. So I've been on this quest to prepare this temple, and one of the things in the gym that we go to, is this box. Now know, it's interesting. It says rogue. I feel like it does go rogue on me quite a bit. But there, I, I don't fear many things in the gym. The, the barbells, dumbbells, kettlebells, I'm good with. And in fact, there's even gymnastic things that I do. I, and here let me, let me repent to every gymnast in the room. I thought your job was easy. I thought it was easy to do a cartwheel. I thought going around the bar, who everybody can do it. Let me just repent. It's really difficult. Very well done, everybody that are gymnasts in this room. But this is the one, even the jump rope. I could do jump rope. I can crisscross. I can almost do double unders. But this thing right here, this box, this wooden box right here, this brings fear to me. Now, the reason is many of you say, well, why are you so scared of the box? Because if you jump on a box, let me show you. This is fresh from this week. Now, you, what you can't see is it's all yellow and black, and this goes down my leg. The point of it is, is I have a love-hate relationship with the box. If you miss the box... Your shin hits the corner of this box. Now, what happens is words try to come out of your mouth. They're usually not tongues, but you have to suppress these words. I've hit this box upwards of four, maybe five times. In fact, I hit it, and and it sends shockwaves through me. Some days, when I look on the gym Manifest for the next day, and I see box jumps, I try to make an excuse why I can't go to the gym. That's how much I hate this box. Now, let me say this. There was a movie called White Man Can't Jump. I think it was written about me, but, but, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. Now, for the most part, when I jump, and I'm not going to do it here. The first service tried it. You're not going to get me to do it again. The reason why I didn't do it, because I, I'm afraid that I'll fall, and you all have it on your phones, and the cameras will have it, and I'll become a meme. So, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do it. You can boo all you want. I just know there's too much pressure here. The point is, the point is, this thing is a a point of contention in my life. You think it's just a wooden box, Pastor Mark. But when you get hit that many times, you start to dread it. Now, here's the thing. I I, I pray in tongues when I'm getting ready to jump on it. Like, Holy Spirit, please let me get it. And for the most part, I've done a really good job. But this week, this week, darn it, this week, this week I hit it. I was like, son of a gun, here we go. And here's the deal. We want the final results of the gym without putting the time in the gym. Now, why am I saying this? Because if I said to you, many times, if we do we do hard things and we get immediate results, we'll do them, right? If I said to you, if you could get abs by going to the, to, to the gym one day, how many people would go to that gym? Raise your hand, right? We'd all do that, you know, a couple of these, boom. Come on, like, no more shirts for me, man. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? but that's not how it works. And that's why everybody comes to the gym January, February. Why? Because it's hard. It's difficult. And here's the thing. The gym doesn't work that way. And I have to convince my mind. Every day I see that's The worst thing is you actually have to go get the box and bring it to you. Like it's like, here we go. I might as well just be bringing a guillotine to my death. I'm sitting it up going, but I have to convince myself this is leading to something. This is for my good. now, we get the results when you face the cost, when you face the box. Now, what is the box in your life? I don't know what it is. For me, it really is a box. But John 16, look what it says. Jesus says this. I have said these things to you that in me, in Christ, you may have peace. Why? This is what I want you to hear me. In the world, you will have tribulations, but take heart. I've overcome the world. So in the world, you will have but take heart. He's overcome it. He's overcome it. See, John the Baptist and the disciples, they all suffered greatly. I'm thinking if you wanted people to join your crew, like when they sign up, they should get like all these gifts, right? Timeshare, new car, you know what I mean? And what do they get? Crucified, boiled. I'm just like, wow, God. But what he's saying is, is listen, they had a joy and they had an honor and they had a higher purpose. Every day, they chose to face whatever that obstacle was in their life and say, I choose Jesus. Yeah. Jesus said something to, to the, 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 all the group. At one point, he said, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And people left in droves. And he turns to his disciples, and he said, are you gonna leave me? Yeah. And they said, we got nowhere to go. Now, I, I always like the persona of like, maybe that was like, literally, we got nowhere to go. But I also think they realized we can't go anywhere as beautiful, and as amazing as being in your presence. Yes. See, Jesus, even in John's doubting, John the Baptist in prison, Jesus calls him in Matthew 11:11. he's the greatest. Now, let me get you a thought here today because I'm thinking about this, like when we get to heaven, how many of you would be excited to meet John the Baptist? I mean, after Jesus, you're looking for what, Peter? Some of you ladies looking for Ruth and Esther, go up to them and say, I heard about you every year at Mother's Day. (laughs) (laughs) Some of you, you'd be like, David, where's David? Where's David? I like David. And listen, everyone that you're running to go meet paid a price. I guarantee you, some of you, you're not gonna go look for the guy that barely got in. You're looking for people that Jesus looked in the eye and said, well done, good and faithful servant." And here's my question to you. Would those people, John the Baptist, Peter the disciple, Esther and Ruth, would they be looking for you when you come to heaven? Like, think about that for a moment. Imagine you, you pop into heaven and they go, David comes up to you and goes, we've been waiting for you. Like, we've been hearing what's happening. And we've been hearing what God's been doing through you. And man, we, we, we want to just say, come on in, man. We, we couldn't wait to see you. Can you imagine heaven's waiting for you because of what you've done for him? You probably won't get a well-done, good, and faithful servant for showing up to a church service, just so you know. Because the Pharisees did it, and they did it more than any of us in this room. You're probably not going to get a well-done and good, faithful servant for tithing because even rich people did that in the old days, and Jesus mentioned of them in the Bible. But we have to do better. Listen to me. I know this is going to be a tough one, but we have to do better with suffering and inconvenience because every time we suffer, we're looking for a demon to cast out. And sometimes suffering and inconvenience is just life. And sometimes when Jesus says, in this life, you will have trials, he's telling you, it's a foreshadowing. You're going to have a tough time, but take heart. I've overcome the box. I've overcome that thing that causes you fear. I've overcome that thing that causes you pain. I've overcome that thing that you're like, why do I got to do this? Now listen, you have a choice. You have a choice. You really do. You're, what you do for Christ will not earn you a seat in heaven. That's right. What he did for you is already done. He paid the price. You don't have to earn your work to get into heaven. But what I am saying is Jesus paid the price. And for that alone, and my love for Jesus should desire me, cause me to want to run to Jesus and say, Jesus, whatever you need me to do, I want to do it. We have to be eternally minded instead of physically present in the situations. Because sometimes you're going to be in something you don't want to be part of. But God sent you there. This Thursday, we went to City Hall and prayed. And I, I thought, oh man, this is going to be packed. It's going to be packed full of people. And it wasn't. And I thought, Where, where's everybody at? Oh, that's right. They got to go to work the next day. Oh, that's right. You know, little Jimmy's got to go to bed by 8. Oh, that. What happened to giving an hour and a half of prayer in your City Hall? Oh, that's, that's a strong word. What I'm saying is, is that's the cost sometimes. And compared to the disciples, it's minuscule. Jesus had to tell his disciples, could you not tarry with me for an hour? Why? Because we're constantly telling Jesus, I can't, I won't, and please don't ask me. Now, why do I face the box? Pastor Mark, why do you even do this? Because I have a reason for this. Listen, the reason is, when I have my grandkids, I want to be able to jump with them. When I'm in my 70s, I want these legs to work well. So I'm paying the cost now to reap the reward later. Now listen to me, some of you finally getting the connection now. What you pay for on the earth today will reap an eternal reward later on and we are so interested in our 401k. Listen to me. We're so interested in what we have now, the car, the house, when we should be saying, God, what can I do to build up eternal rewards in heaven? Maybe you get a smaller house, but man, you bring more people into heaven by your witness and your testimony because you're not locked down to a mortgage you can't pay. Oh, I'm preaching. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. The reality is I am sacrificing. We are sacrificing things now because we believe that it We'll pay our eternal reward later the difference between the rich young ruler in Matthew 19 Luke 10 or Mark 10 Luke 18 the rich young ruler who pursued Jesus and said what do I need to do Jesus said sell everything you have the difference between the rich young ruler and Peter James and John is their response to Jesus rich young ruler saw Jesus as a teacher and when it got hard he left But the disciples saw Jesus as the only option and the only Lord, and they had nothing else to follow. You are the reason, and I know it's not going to end well. Did you know that Jesus, most towns, he got kicked out? Scripture says he had nowhere to lay his head. So now these people left their homes, left their wives, left their businesses, and they're following someone who didn't even have timeshare. He had nowhere to go. What is our Nazarite vow today? How do we apply that today? New Testament concept is this, Romans 12, verse one. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to what? Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let me just say this to you today. That means that you're separated and consecrated. I'm gonna pose to you something here. That when you spend time in god's presence you'll get more out of that than going to bed early yeah. 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 I, i'm sorry i'm offending most of you because we all like sleep and i like it too but i've noticed that when i'm in god's presence i could go to bed at 7:30 and still not feel as good as i feel when i spend time together presence of the Lord with other brothers and sisters. What I'm saying is it's all about perspective. It's all about where we put our time. It's about being inconvenienced for Jesus. For some of you, you don't need to buy that car. For some of you, you don't need that big of a house. For some of you, you don't need to pursue that job. It's pursuing Jesus above everything. And in that, we do what? We are a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And it says, do not be conformed to this world. The patterns of this world is say bigger more get get as much as you can store up hoard up be about you not about them and jesus says it's the opposite the kingdom is give and it shall be given make sure that you over an abundance serve and love and let people know how good jesus is it says then you will be able to test and approve what god's will is his good pleasing and perfect will might i pose to you this the reason why the church can't discern where god is is because we're not willing to spend time in that place with Him. When we spend time with Him in His will, we will get to discern who He is. And let me go back to this original quote from Martin Luther King. You're gonna see it in a different light. The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort or convenience, but it's where he stands in times of challenge and controversy. I made a list of the things that challenge me. If you were to see it, I didn't show it to you, but you would probably agree with most of these things. But then I began to look at them and I said, Man, I could, I could flip this. I, I complain about all the kids we have and all the food we got to get and all the things. And I love my kids. Don't let they hear that. But I want you to know, like I thought about it, I'm like, Lord, you're, you've given me healthy, beautiful children that love Jesus. And so, yeah, there might be a lot of toys on our floor. There's a lot of toys on our floor, isn't there? Yes. There's a lot of food we have to buy. But you know what? What a great opportunity to raise up 10 beautiful, amazing children in Jesus. See, it's all about Perspective. For some of us, we complain about the traffic, but then you forget that God has blessed you by putting you in a in a city that people want to come to. I could complain about leading a church and how you know people leave and, and people go here and they don't like me pray, cheat that, so they left and this, and, and I'm thinking, well, hold on a second. I get to be an oracle of your word. Like you get to use me to be a mouthpiece. The things you're complaining about could very well be there to help perfect you and make you more like him. Listen, my, my, my shin's going to heal. I know you're worried. And there's a pretty good chance that this is going to happen again. But if I quit because of this, I miss out on all the other things. If I let one opportunity that causes pain for a moment to change the trajectory of my life, May not be able to run around with these kids or these grandkids. What I'm saying to you today is, would you have made Jesus' crew? Would you have left everything to follow a man that nobody knew? What good comes out of Nazareth? Who who is in Nazareth? Who what is God doing in Spring Hill? What what could possibly be happening at Thompson State? Columbia? I mean, what? What's your box today? What's that thing in your life that you're rebelling against? I won't do that. God, you can ask for everything, but don't ask me for this. Whatever that is, know this, whatever pain you go through in life serving Jesus, I don't wanna serve a God of convenience. I thank the the Lord that I have a Lord that's over my struggles. That he has helped me to overcome the world. So today, with every eye closed, I'm going to ask you this question today. What is it that the Lord's asking from you? What is it that's challenging you that you've been resisting? Maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's direction to business. Maybe it's your dreams. You just feel like an opposition against your dreams. You've been casting on every demon. You have Sister Susan on the prayer team praying with you, and you're like, oh, how come it's not working? And God's saying, Because I actually want you to do that today, my job wasn't to make you upset but to bring a new perspective that maybe in the kingdom we go through hard times and they're not going to destroy you. Listen to me. Listen to me. I talked to somebody earlier about their relationships. It's not going to destroy you. What you're going through will, will, if you allow the Holy Spirit today, listen to me, it will actually perfect you. It will conform you. will transform you and young people if you can hear me today i want you to realize this if you can get this now you didn't sign up for a cakewalk i'm going to apologize for whoever directed you to jesus that they said to you you're going to live your best life now that's not true You will go through trials. But here's the good news. You will live your best life in eternity and God has given you the ability to live above your circumstances. So even though you may be going through the valley of the shadow of death, He's with you. That's why we, people like this that understand this, we worship differently. In fact, I know worshipers that understand this, they worship even greater when they're going through trials. So I want to worship before we leave. And I want to say this, whatever you're doing today and wherever God is in your life, I want you to know he loves you so much. He loves you so much. And man, I just, I want to, I want to fall in love with him as much as he falls in love with me. And I want to give him what he's given to me. And if he gave me his life, God, I give you my life. It is a let it be a sweet-smelling fragrance, a sacrifice of praise. God, it's not just the words that come out of my mouth, but it's my life, it's my children, it's my wife, it's my it's my dreams, it's my desires. You're worthy, Jesus. You're worthy. Thank you so much for listening to this message. Southview Church is a non-denominational, multi-generational, multicultural community of believers passionately pursuing Jesus, family, freedom, and unity in the body of Christ. If you would like to connect with us, visit us at southview.cc and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.